Chapter Two, Dombey and Son by Charles Dickens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dombey and Son by Charles Dickens, Chapter Two in which timely provision is made for an emergency that will sometimes arise in the best-regulated families. "'I shall never cease to congratulate myself,' said Mrs. Chick, on having said, when I little thought, what was in store for us, really as if I was inspired by something, that I forgave poor dear Fanny everything.' Whatever happens, that must always be a comfort to me. Mrs. Chick made this impressive observation in the drawing-room, after having descended thither from the inspection of the mantua-makers upstairs, who were busy on the family mourning. She delivered it for the behoof of Mr. Chick, who was a stout, bald gentleman, with a very large face and his hands continually in his pockets, and who had a tendency in his nature to whistle and hum tunes, which, sensible of the indecorum of such sounds in a house of grief, he was at some pains to repress at present. "'Don't you over-exert yourself, Lou,' said Mr. Chick, "'or you'll be laid up with spasms, I see.' "'Right! Taluru, bless my soul, I forgot. We're here one day and gone the next. Mrs. Chick contented herself with a glance of reproof, and then proceeded with the thread of her discourse. I am sure, she said, I hope this heart-rending occurrence will be a warning to all of us to accustom ourselves to rouse ourselves, and to make efforts in time where they're required of us. There's a moral in everything. If we would only avail ourselves of it, it will be our own faults if we lose sight of this one. Mr. Chick invaded the grave silence which ensued on this remark with the singularly inappropriate air of a cobbler there was, and checking himself in some confusion, observed that it was undoubtedly our own faults if we didn't improve such melancholy occasions as the present. "'Which might be better improved, I should think, Mr. C.,' retorted his helpmate after a short pause, then by the introduction either of the college hornpipe or the equally unmeaning and unfeeling remark of rumple-to-ditty bow-wow-wow, which Mr. Chick had indeed indulged in under his breath, and which Mrs. Chick repeated in a tone of withering scorn. "'Merely habit, my dear,' pleaded Mr. Chick. "'Nonsense! Habit!' returned his wife. If you're a rational being, don't make such ridiculous excuses. Habit! If I was to get a habit, as you call it, of walking on the ceiling like the flies, I should hear enough of it, I dare say. It appeared so probable that such a habit might be attended with some degree of notoriety that Mr. Chick 
didn't venture to dispute the position. "'Bow, wow, wow!' repeated Mrs. Chick, with an emphasis of biting contempt on the last syllable. "'More like a professional singer with the hydrophobia than a man in your station of life.' "'How's the baby, Lou?' asked Mr. Chick to change the subject. "'What baby do you mean?' demanded his wife. "'The poor bereaved little baby,' said Mr. Chick. "'I don't know of any other.' "'You don't know of any other?' retorted Mrs. Chick. "'More shame for you, I was going to say.' Mr. Chick looked astonished. "'I am sure the morning I have had, with that dining-room downstairs, one mass of babies no one in their senses would believe.' "'One mass of babies?' repeated Mr. Chick, staring with an alarmed expression about him. "'It would have occurred to most men,' said Mrs. Chick that poor dear fanny being no more it becomes necessary to provide a nurse oh ah said mr chick true such is life i mean i hope you are suited my dear indeed i am not said mrs chick nor likely to be so far as i can see and in the meantime the poor child seems likely to starve to death Paul is so very particular, naturally so, of course, having set his whole heart on this one boy, and there are so many objections to everybody that offers, that I can't see, myself, the least chance of an arrangement. Meanwhile, of course, the child is going to the very deuce, said Mr. Chick thoughtfully, to be sure admonished however that he had committed himself by the indignation expressed in mrs chick's countenance as the idea of a dombey going there and thinking to atone for his misconduct by a bright suggestion he added couldn't something temporary be done with a teapot if he had meant to bring the subject prematurely to a close he could not have done it more effectually. After looking at him for some moments in silent resignation, Mrs. Chick said she trusted he hadn't said it in aggravation, because that would do very little honour to his heart. She trusted he hadn't said it seriously, because that would do very little honour to his head. As in any case, he couldn't however sanguine his disposition, hoped to offer a remark that would be a greater outrage upon human nature in general. She would beg to leave the discussion at that point. She walked majestically to the window and peeped through the blind, attracted by the sound of wheels. Mr. Chick, finding that his destiny was, for the time, against him, said no more and walked off. But it was not always thus with Mr. Chick. He was often in the ascendant himself, and at those times punished Louisa roundly. In their matrimonial bickering they were, upon the whole, a well-matched, fairly balanced, give-and-take couple. It would have been, generally speaking, very difficult to have betted on the winner. Often, when Mr. Chick seemed beaten, he would suddenly make a start, 
turn the tables, clatter them about the ears of Mrs. Chick, and carry all before him, being liable himself to similar unlooked-for checks from Mrs. Chick, their little contest usually possessed a character of uncertainty that was very animating. Miss Tox had arrived on the wheels just now alluded to, and came running into the room in a breathless condition. "'My dear Louisa,' said Miss Tox, "'is the vacancy still unsupplied?' "'You good soul, yes,' said Mrs. Chick. "'Then, my dear Louisa,' returned Miss Tox, "'I hope and believe, but in one moment, my dear, I'll introduce the party.' Running downstairs again as fast as she had run up, Miss Tox got the party out of the hackney coach and soon returned with it under convoy. It then appeared that she had used the word not in its legal or business acceptation, when it merely expresses an individual, but as a noun of multitude, or signifying many, for Miss Tox escorted a plump, rosy-cheeked, wholesome, apple-faced young woman with an infant in her arms, a younger woman not so plump, but apple-faced also, who led a plump and apple-faced child in each hand, another plump and also apple-faced boy who walked by himself, and finally a plump and apple-faced man who carried in his arms another plump and apple-faced boy, whom he stood down on the floor and admonished in a husky whisper to kitch hold of his brother Johnny. "'My dear Louisa,' said Miss Tox, "'knowing your great anxiety and wishing to relieve it, I posted off myself to the Queen Charlotte's Royal Married Females, which you had forgot, and put the question.' Was there anybody there that they thought would suit? No, they said there was not. When they gave me that answer, I do assure you, my dear, I was almost driven to despair on your account. But it did so happen that one of the royal married females, hearing the inquiry, reminded the matron of another who had gone to her own home, and who, she said, would in all likelihood be most satisfactory. The moment I heard this, and had it corroborated by the matron, excellent references and unimpeachable character, I got the address, my dear, and posted off again. Like the dear good talks you are, said Louisa. Not at all, returned Miss Tox. Don't say so. Arriving at the house, the cleanest place, my dear, you might eat your dinner off the floor. I found the whole family sitting at table, and feeling that no account of them could be half so comfortable to you and Mr. Dombey as the sight of them all together, I brought them all away. This gentleman, said Miss Tox, pointing out the apple-faced man, is the father. Will you have the goodness to come a little forward, sir? The apple-faced man, having sheepishly complied with this request, stood chuckling and grinning in a front row. 
"'This is his wife, of course,' said Miss Tox, singling out the young woman with the baby. "'How do you do, Polly?' "'I'm pretty well, I thank you, ma'am,' said Polly. By way of bringing her out dexterously, Miss Tox had made the inquiry as in condescension to an old acquaintance whom she hadn't seen for a fortnight or so. "'I'm glad to hear it,' said Miss Tox. "'The other young woman is her unmarried sister who lives with them, and would take care of her children. Her name's Jemima. How do you do, Jemima?' "'I'm pretty well, I thank you, ma'am,' returned Jemima. "'I'm very glad indeed to hear it,' said Miss Tox. "'I hope you'll keep so. Five children, youngest six weeks. The fine little boy with the blister on his nose is the eldest. The blister, I believe,' said Miss Tox, looking round upon the family, "'is not constitutional, but accidental.' The apple-faced man was understood to growl. Flat iron. I beg your pardon, sir, said Miss Tox, did you? Flat iron, he repeated. Oh, yes, said Miss Tox, yes, quite true, I forgot. The little creature, in his mother's absence, smelt a warm flat iron. You're quite right, sir. You were going to have the goodness to inform me when we arrived at the door that you were by trade a stoker said the man a choker said miss tox quite aghast stoker said the man steam engine oh yes returned miss tox looking thoughtfully at him and seeming still to have but a very imperfect understanding of his meaning and how do you like it sir which mum said the man. That, replied Miss Tox, your trade. Oh, pretty well, mum. The ashes sometimes gets in here, touching his chest, and makes a man speak gruff, as at the present time. But it is ashes, mum, not crustiness. Miss Tox seemed to be so little enlightened by this reply as to find a difficulty in pursuing the subject. But Mrs. Chick relieved her by entering into a close private examination of Polly, her children, her marriage certificate, testimonials, and so forth. Polly coming out unscathed from this ordeal, Mrs. Chick withdrew with her report to her brother's room, and as an emphatic comment on it and corroboration of it, carried the two rosiest little Tootles with her, Tootle being the family name of the apple-faced family. Mr. Dombey had remained in his own apartment since the death of his wife, absorbed in visions of the youth, education, and destination of his baby son. Something lay at the bottom of his cool heart, colder and heavier than its ordinary load. But it was more a sense of the child's loss than his own, awakening within him an almost angry sorrow, that the life and progress on which he built such hopes should be endangered in the outset by so mean a want, 
that Dombey and Son should be tottering for a nurse was a sore humiliation. And yet, in his pride and jealousy, he viewed with so much bitterness the thought of being dependent for the very first step toward the accomplishment of his soul's desire on a hired serving-woman who would be to the child for the time all that even his alliance could have made his own wife, that in every new rejection of a candidate he felt a secret pleasure. The time had now come, however, when he could no longer be divided between these two sets of feelings, the less so as there seemed to be no flaw in the title of Polly Toodle after his sister had set it forth, with many commendations on the indefatigable friendship of Miss Tox. "'These children look healthy,' said Mr. Dombey. "'But to think of their some day claiming a sort of relationship to Paul!' "'Oh, but what relationship is there?' Louisa began. "'Is there?' echoed Mr. Dombey, who had not intended his sister to participate in the thought that he had unconsciously expressed. "'Is there?' did you say, Louisa? "'Can there be, I mean?' "'Why, none,' said Mr. Dombey sternly. "'The whole world knows that, I presume. Grief has not made me idiotic, Louisa.' take them away, Louisa. Let me see this woman and her husband. Mrs. Chick bore off the tender pair of toodles, and presently returned with that tougher couple whose presence her brother had commanded. My good woman, said Mr. Dombey, turning round in his easy chair, as one piece, and not as a man with limbs and joints. I understand you are poor, and wish to earn money by nursing the little boy, my son, who has been so prematurely deprived of what can never be replaced. I have no objection to your adding to the comforts of your family by that means. So far as I can tell, you seem to be a deserving object. But I must impose one or two conditions on you before you enter my house in that capacity." while you are here i must stipulate that you are always known as say as richards an ordinary name and convenient have you any objection to be known as richards you had better consult your husband as the husband did nothing but chuckle and grin and continually draw his right hand across his mouth moistening the palm Mrs. Toodle, after nudging him twice or thrice in vain, dropped a curtsey and replied, that perhaps if she was to be called out of her name, it would be considered in the wages. "'Oh, of course,' said Mr. Dombey, "'I desire to make it a question of wages altogether. Now, Richards, if you nurse my bereaved child, I wish you to remember this always.' you will receive a liberal stipend in return for the discharge of certain duties, in the performance of which I wish you to see as little of your family as possible. When those duties cease to be required and rendered, and the stipend ceases to be paid, there is an end of all relations between us. Do you understand me? Mrs. Toodle 
seemed doubtful about it and as to tootle himself he had evidently no doubt whatever that he was all abroad you have children of your own said mr dombey it is not at all in this bargain that you need become attached to my child or that my child need become attached to you i don't expect or desire anything of the kind quite the reverse when you go away from here you will have concluded what is a mere matter of bargain and sale hiring and letting and will stay away the child will cease to remember you and you will cease if you please to remember the child mrs tootle with a little more colour in her cheeks than she had before said she hoped she knew her place i hope you do richards said mr dombey i have no doubt you know it very well indeed it is so plain and obvious that it could hardly be otherwise louisa my dear arrange with richards about money and let her have it when and how she pleases mr what's your name a word with you if you please thus arrested on the threshold as he was following his wife out of the room tootle returned and confronted mr dombey alone he was a strong loose round-shouldered shuffling shaggy fellow on whom his clothes sat negligently with a good deal of hair and whisker deepened in its natural tint perhaps by smoke and coal-dust hard knotty hands and a square forehead as coarse in grain as the bark of an oak a thorough contrast in all respects to mr dombey who was one of those close-shaved close-cut moneyed gentlemen who are glossy and crisp like new bank-notes and who seem to be artificially braced and tightened as by the stimulating action of golden shower-baths you have a son i believe said mr dombey four on em sir four hymns and a her all alive why it's as much as you can afford to keep them said mr dombey i could hardly afford but one thing in the world less sir what is that to lose em sir can you read asked mr dombey why not particular sir write with chalk sir with anything i could make shift to chalk a little bit i think if i was put to it said tootle after some reflection and yet said mr dombey you are two and three and thirty i suppose thereabouts i suppose sir answered tootle after much reflection then why don't you learn asked mr dombey so i'm a-going to sir one of my little boys is going to learn me when he's old enough and been to school himself well said mr dombey after looking at him attentively and with no great favour as he stood gazing round the room principally round the ceiling and still drawing his hand and across his mouth you heard what i said to your wife just now polly heard it said tootle jerking his hat over his shoulder in the direction of the door with 
an air of perfect confidence in his better half. It's all right. As you appear to leave everything to her, said Mr. Dombey, frustrated in his intention of impressing his views still more distinctly on the husband as the stronger character. I suppose it is of no use my saying anything to you. Not a bit, said Tootle. Polly heard it. She's awake, sir. I won't detain you any longer, then, returned Mr. Dombey, disappointed. Where have you worked all your life? Mostly underground, sir, till I got married. I come to the level, then. I'm going on one of these here railroads when they come into full play. As he added in one of his hoarse whispers, we mean to bring up little Byler to that line. Mr. Dombey inquired haughtily who little Byler was. The elder on em, sir, said Tootle with a smile. It ain't a common name. Sir, much, sir, that when he was took to church, the gentleman said it weren't a Christian one, and he couldn't give it. But we always calls him Byler just the same, for we don't mean no harm, not we. Do you mean to say, man, inquired Mr. Dombey, looking at him with marked displeasure, that you have called a child after a boiler? No, no, sir, returned Tootle, with a tender consideration for his mistake. I should hope not. No, sir. After a boiler, sir, the steam engine was almost as good as a godfather to him, and so we called him boiler, don't you see? As the last straw breaks the laden camel's back, this piece of underground information crushed the sinking spirits of Mr. Dombey. He motioned his child's foster father to the door, who departed by no means unwillingly, and then turning the key, paced up and down the room in solitary wretchedness. It would be harsh, and perhaps not altogether true, to say of him that he felt these rubs and gratings against his pride more keenly than he had felt his wife's death. But certainly they impressed that event upon him with force and communicated to it weight and bitterness. It was a rude shock to his sense of property in his child that these people, the mere dust of the earth as he thought them, should be necessary to him, and it was natural that in proportion as he felt disturbed by it, he should deplore the occurrence which had made them so. Some philosophers tell us that selfishness is the root of all but our best loves and affections. Mr. Donby's infant child was from the beginning so distinctly important to him as being part of himself, or, which was the same thing, of Dombey and son, that there is no doubt his parental affection might have been very easily traced like many another superstructure of fair fame, to a very low foundation. But it is certain 
that there had begun to spring up in his habitually frigid breast a current of anxieties and cares of which this infant was the source that impelled the dominant springs of his character to a new action and perhaps set one or two others in motion that had never been at work for all his starched impenetrable dignity and composure he wiped blinding tears from his eyes as he did so and often said with an emotion of which he would not for the world have had a witness poor little fellow it may have been characteristic of mr dombey's pride that he pitied himself through the child not poor me not poor widower confiding by constraint in the wife of an ignorant hind who had been working mostly underground all his life and yet at whose door death had never knocked and at whose poor table four sons daily sit but poor little fellow those words being on his lips it occurred to him and it is an instance of the strong attraction with which his hopes and fears and all his thoughts were tending to one centre that a great temptation was being placed in this woman's way her infant was a boy too now would it be possible for her to change them though he was soon satisfied that he had dismissed the idea as romantic and unlikely though possible there was no denying he could not help pursuing it so far as to entertain within himself a picture of what his condition would be if he should discover such an imposture when he was grown old whether a man so situated would be able to pluck away the result of so many years of usage confidence and belief from the impostor and endow a stranger with it but it was idle speculating thus it couldn't happen in a moment afterwards he determined it could but that such women were constantly observed and had no opportunity given them for the accomplishment of such design even when they were so wicked as to entertain it in another moment he was remembering how few such cases seemed to have ever happened in another moment he was wondering whether they ever happened and were not found out as his unusual emotion subsided these misgivings gradually melted away though so much of their shadow remained behind that he was constant in his resolution to look closely after richards himself without appearing to do so being now in an easier frame of mind he regarded the woman's station as rather an advantageous circumstance than otherwise by placing in itself a broad distance between her and the child and rendering their separation easy and natural meanwhile terms were ratified and agreed upon between mrs chick and richards with the assistance of miss tox and richards being with much ceremony invested with the dombey baby as 
if it were an order, resigned her own, with many tears and kisses, to Jemima. Glasses of wine were then produced to sustain the drooping spirits of the family, and Miss Tox, busying herself dispensing tastes to the younger branches, bred them up to their father's business with such surprising expedition that one made chokers of them in a matter of minutes. "'You'll take a glass yourself, sir, won't you?' said Miss Tox, as Tootle appeared. "'Thank you, mum,' said Tootle, "'since you are suppressing. "'And you're very glad to leave your dear good wife in such a comfortable house, ain't you, sir?' said Miss Tox, nodding and winking at him stealthily. "'No, mum,' said Tootle, "'here's wishing of her back again.' Polly cried more than ever at this. So Mrs. Chick, who had her matronly apprehensions that this indulgence in grief might be prejudicial to the little Dombey, acid indeed, she whispered, Miss Tox, hastened to the rescue. Your little child will thrive charmingly with your sister Jemima, Richards, said Mrs. Chick. And you have only to make an effort. This is a world of effort, you know, Richards, to be very happy indeed. You have been already measured for your mourning, haven't you, Richard? Yes, ma'am, sobbed Polly. And it'll fit beautifully, I know, said Mrs. Chick, for the same young person has made me many dresses, the very best materials, too. "'Lor, you'll be so smart,' said Miss Tox, "'that your husband won't know you, will you, sir?' "'I should know her,' said Tootle gruffly, "'anyhow's and anywheres.' Tootle was evidently not to be bought over. "'As to living Richards, you know,' pursued Mrs. Chick, "'why the very best of everything will be at your disposal. "'You will order your little dinner every day,' and anything you take a fancy to, I'm sure, will be as readily provided as if you were a lady. Yes, to be sure, said Miss Tox, keeping up the ball with great sympathy. And as to Porter, quite unlimited, will it not, Louisa? Oh, certainly, returned Mrs. Chick, in the same tone. With a little abstinence, you know, my dear, in point of vegetables. "'And pickles, perhaps,' suggested Miss Tox. "'With such exceptions,' said Louisa, "'she'll consult her choice entirely, "'and be under no restraint at all, my love.' "'And then, of course, you know,' said Miss Tox, "'however fond she is of her own dear little child, "'and I'm sure, Louisa, you don't blame her for being fond of it.' "'Oh, no,' cried Mrs. Chick, benignantly.' Still, resumed Miss Tox, she naturally must be interested in her young charge, and must consider it a privilege to see a little cherub closely connected with the superior classes, gradually unfolding itself from day to day at one common fountain. Is it not so, Louisa? Most undoubtedly, said Mrs. Chick. You see, my love, She's already quite contented and comfortable, and means to say good-bye to her sister Jemima and her little pets, 
and her good honest husband with a light heart and a smile don't she my dear oh yes cried miss tox to be sure she does notwithstanding which however poor polly embraced them all round in great distress and coming to her spouse at last could not make up her mind to part with him until he gently disengaged himself at the close of the following allegal piece of consolation polly old woman whatever you do my darling hold up your head and fight low that's the only rule i know on that'll carry any one through life you always have held up your head and fought low polly do it now or bricks is no longer so whether my wishes at this moment is to punch this family's head or otherwise never mind god bless you polly me and jemima will do our duty by you and with relating to yours hold up your head and fight low polly and you can't go wrong she finally ran away to avoid any more particular leave-taking between herself and the children but the stratagem hardly succeeded as well as it deserved for the smallest boy but one divining her intent immediately began swarming upstairs after her if that word of doubtful etymology be admissible on his arms and legs while the eldest known in the family by the name of byler in remembrance of the steam-engine beat a demoniacal tattoo with his boots expressive of grief in which he was joined by the rest of the family a quantity of oranges and halfpence thrust indiscriminately on each tootle checked the first violence of their regret and the family were speedily transported to their own home by means of the hackney coach kept in waiting for that purpose the children under the guardianship of jemima blocked up the window and dropped out oranges and halfpence all the way along mr tootle himself preferred to ride behind among the spikes as being the mode of conveyance to which he was best accustomed end of chapter two